Michelle ministers to a few elderly people. In uh, one of them was a 90-year-old lady named Louise, and she was supposed to get with her on Thursday. And she started calling her on Tuesday, and she didn't answer her phone. Didn't answer her phone on Wednesday. Didn't answer her phone on Thursday. So Michelle started worrying about Louise. So Saturday morning, she went out looking for Louise. And I went to see Herb at Community North. And guess what? Louise was in the room right next to Herb. <laughs> like literally 1771, 1772. So uh, Louise fell on Tuesday and is in the hospital. So you can pray for her as well. And Todd, we continue to pray for you too, brother. Uh, I I won't give up on you. I won't give up on you. Um, I know Rick uh, asked the question that a lot of people ask me all the time: is how do you deal with everybody's junk? How do you when people just? I'm like, well, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I think I did at one point. Uh, it was probably around 2000, 2001 when I I used to like take it all and try to fix it and everything else. And then I came to the point, the realization that I I was failing at that. And so the best thing that I could do for my students and parents and church and friends and family and everybody else was just to pray for them, that the Lord was going to have to be the one that did that, and uh, it's taken a lot of pressure off me, ministry-wise. It's not that I don't care, it's just I'm not going to try to fix you, and I've I've had to learn to not be the fixer, and I say all that because we're getting into John 17 today, and Jesus has spent three years with these disciples just teaching them and teaching them and teaching them, and he's getting to the end of hanging hanging out with them, and guess what he does? He prays for them. He just prays for them. He's like, okay, I, I've, I've unloaded everything, I've taught you everything. He knows that they don't get it right now, but they're going to get it eventually. You'll see that here today as he prays for him. But we'll try to get through John 17 over these next few weeks. But this first this first part of John 17 is uh, not only just Jesus' prayer uh, for himself, but also for his disciples. So we're in uh, John 17. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. We've spent 69 weeks teaching the Gospels, and now we get to the part where Jesus says, okay, this is it, we're getting down to it, the hour has come. He says, it's almost like a command, it's like, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. The whole reason Jesus wanted to be glorified was so that his Father could be glorified. You realize God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all there for each other. And the reason they wanted to be glorified was so that the others could be glorified. It wasn't necessarily about them. He says, since you gave him authority over all flesh, 
Now, who's him? It says, glorify your son, since you gave him authority over all flesh. You take that word flesh, and obviously we teach uh, the, the flesh is some kind of entity. But here he's really talking about people. He's talking about you gave him authority over the people. And when he says that, he's like, here's what you did is you allowed me, you allowed me to do these incredible, crazy miracles that nobody else could do. Heal a blind man from birth, heal a Jewish leper, cast demons out of mutes, turn water into wine. You, you've allowed me to do all the, and in fact, you allowed me when the Pharisees wanted to come at me and kill me and take my life. You allowed me to escape. Like you've done all these things just so that you could see, they could see that I am the Messiah. You have given me the authority. So, Lord, I don't want to take credit for it. I want you to be glorified. It says, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Jesus gave us eternal life, but you have to know where it originated from, right? Jesus says, who gave us eternal life? God the Father is the one that gave us eternal life. I received my eternity, my eternal life through Jesus Christ, but I know that it came from the Father above. Then he says this, This is kind of a big deal in verse 3. This is eternal life. When you hear uh, you've received eternal life, I think most of you in this room would probably say that you thought what? What? Heaven, future, you're going to live forever, right? Days will be added to your life. That's what eternal life is. Well, Jesus sits here in red letters and he tells you, let me tell you what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus is literally saying right here, the essence of eternal life, the foundation of eternal life is to know intimately the heart of God, God the Father, and not only God the Father, but God the Son, that you know if you want to have eternal life, you get to know God. That's it. Like, it's pretty much a given that everybody's going to live forever, right? Uh, Not here in this earth suit, but in our spiritual being, I'm made up of three parts. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. My soul and spirit is eternal. My, my body, this is temporary. It's going into the ground. I'm, I'm almost through with this. I'm on the back nine of life. You got it? So, But my eternal being, who I really am, everything that I am is my spirit and my soul, and it's eternal. I know that it's going to live forever. It's either going to live in one place, right? It's going to be above or below. I don't know what that below looks like. I'm assuming if you don't have eternal life, you have eternal death. Jesus promises 
you're going to have eternal life, and this is what eternal life is. It's knowing the Father, God the Father, God the Son intimately, having a close relationship with him. He says, verse 4, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He obviously glorified the Father by allowing the Father to work through him. He was obedient to the Father. They came up with this plan. Eternity passed. Think about that for a second. What is eternity past? You can't say from the beginning because there is no beginning. But all along, they've had this plan of how it was going to work. And Jesus was obedient to it. And he says, okay, God the Father, I want you to work through me. You're going to have to do this through me. And then he also said every word that he spoke, we said this a couple weeks ago, Jesus said this, every word that he spoke was the Father's word. Jesus knows even the hours to come are going to happen. I'm talking about his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and he's speaking about them right now in this passage as if they've already happened. He believes what is about to come is a done deal. He says in verse 5, Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Again, we go back to eternity past. What is eternity past? What is this plan that they've had all along? I'll take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as man. You see, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been together forever. Total communion. They've had this plan, and Jesus says, okay, Even though I'm from the beginning, I have the same character as my father, the same character as the spirit. I'm going to come here to earth and I'm going to take on human form. He limited himself. Like the moment he was born in a manger as a baby, he limited himself. One, he didn't know everything. He was a baby. He literally had to learn how to walk. And talk. The scripture said, we don't have a lot about Jesus growing up, but the scripture says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He physically grew just like you did. He grew in his wisdom. And even while he was here on earth in this earthly form, he still didn't know everything. He didn't know when he was going to return. But he did grow in his understanding as God revealed things to him. So that glory, that glory of God that was from the very beginning from with God the Father and God the Spirit, we say that it was veiled with a human body. They saw a glimpse of it, Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw just this, this white figure, this, this glorified body. And again, they're going to see it again after Jesus is crucified, he's buried, 
and he raises again from the dead, they'll be able to see this glorified body that is now currently veiled with Jesus' human body. Verse 6, it says this. Then he switches it, and he changes his prayer to the focus on his disciples. He says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. He's speaking to God the Father, obviously. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I want you to be encouraged as you go through this section of this prayer. You see, because what has happened here is Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples over these last three years. He's like told them everything that he possibly could about his life, what was to come, and everything else. And now Jesus is defending his disciples, even though, you you realize, even though the chapter before this, Jesus says, you're going to scatter when Judas comes and kisses me. You're going to scatter. Now all of a sudden when he's praying for them, he's defending them. (laughs) That should be good news to you people. Because even though his own disciples failed him, he still defended them. He's still speaking positive about them to the Father. You realize that Jesus is the advocate for us in heaven. That he's constantly speaking to the Father about our goodness. Even when we blow it today. He's our advocate. Jesus sees what they're going to do through the Spirit before it actually happens. Verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Jesus has already said this. He says, Because I have given them the words that you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when uh, a pastor just preaches a message, you know, he, he like gives it all out, and at the very end he closes his in prayer and he repeats the sermon in the prayer and is like trying to like force it on them. It's almost like what Jesus is doing here. It's, it seems like it, you know. It's like he's he's like, you guys got to get this. I'm praying for you, but I honestly believe that that was Jesus' prayer for his disciples that they would figure this thing out. Even though the disciples didn't know it at that time, at that very time, Jesus knew that they were going to know this when the Spirit came. So Jesus is sitting here saying, pray as if you know what is to come. Like, that's good news. I can sit out here and look at you and know what's going on, know what's going on in your lives, and I can pray for you in the hope of what is to come. Like, I don't have to focus on that stuff that you're worried about right now. You with me? I can pray for the future what God is going to do in your life. I can look ahead and see what God is going to do. 
and it takes all the pressure off of me. Well, one, because I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray, but I'm going to believe based upon what I know about my Father. It says, <clears throat> says this, uh, verse 7, Now they know that everything you have given to me is from you. I just read that, sorry. Verse, verse uh, 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Now, uh, that verse right there absolutely destroys any thought of universalist theology. Now, I don't know if you know what universalist theology is, but some people believe that when God says that he's going to restore creation, that he's going to restore not only creation, but he's going to restore everybody and everybody's going to be saved. That's what universalism is. I sit here and read, as I know, we read in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You have to know that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Messiah. But right here it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Do you get this? You've got to understand this right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Like, Like God sent Jesus to be the savior for the world, for all people. But there's only a certain few that will believe that Jesus is that savior. And those are the ones that were given to Jesus. Uh, it, it can be confusing, but let me try to explain it to you. Let me try to simplify for you. The moment that I believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died on the cross and he forgave me of my sins, he gave me forgiveness the moment I believed that. I was placed in Christ. For me, that moment was around 1972. Okay? I believed around 1972. I was old enough to understand that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior, and Jesus was that Savior. That moment in 1972 put me in Christ. Now, if I'm in Christ, think about this. Only burn some brain cells here. But if I'm in Christ, that puts me all the way back to eternity past and all the way to eternity future. Think about it for a second. The moment I believed I'm in Christ, it took me back to Calvary where Jesus was crucified. For I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I go all the way I go all the way back to eternity past when it's God the Father, God the Spirit and God the Son just hanging out together. If I'm in Christ, I'm all the way back there. That's crazy to think about. And I go all the way to eternity future. If you didn't follow what I said just then, don't worry about it. It's okay. At some point God will reveal it to you. At some point, that's my prayer. And I'll continue to pray that. 
So therefore, that verse right there really destroys any universalist thought. I was given to Jesus the moment that I believed, and now I'm in Christ. Verse 10, it says this. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I'm glorified in them. Jesus is talking to the Father, and he says, Hey, God, I realize everything that I've got right now is, comes from you, and everything that's mine is yours, but we're glorified in these disciples. These are the ones that are going to scatter. They haven't scattered yet. They're, he says you're going to scatter, and they're going to scatter, and yet he's already saying we're, you're glorified in them. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. We go back to David in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. It says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Everything is the Lord's, is theirs. And now he's referring to them as these disciples. We're going to be glorified. Look, Jesus hasn't died yet, but again... He's talking about what is to come. He knows what is to come. And that word about them being glorified, it's got two big letters on the end of it. E-D. E-D makes it past tense. Like, it's already happened. In other words, you're sitting in here in this room with a bunch of glorified people. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the person that you're sitting next to, if they believe in Jesus as the Son of God, their Savior, Messiah, they're actually already glorified. Past tense. Because Jesus believes that. Jesus saw their future, and he spoke about them because of their future. Now, I'll say this. That's totally opposite of our society. You, you make one mistake, or you even say one wrong word, and you're thrown out. We saw it this week. Make one mistake, one wrong word, you're done. Jesus is sitting here to these disciples going, I know you're going to scatter, but I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm not going to cast you aside. I'm not going to give up on you. That's totally different than our society. And he says, I'm no longer in the world. I'm no longer in the world. Really, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension is, is so for sure in Jesus' mind that he speaks about it as if it's past tense. It's getting ready to come within the next three days, and he's saying, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm no longer in this world. But they, the disciples, they are in the world, the world being that unredeemed world that is controlled by satan we talked about that just a few weeks ago god i'm out i'm i'm saying my last words 
be on the cross, go to the grave, raise again. But these guys, they're here in this unredeemed world that's controlled by Satan. That that had to have been a pretty big deal for Jesus to pray for them. That. Right? Wouldn't that be cool for Jesus to stand before you, look up to the Father and say, hey, look out for my people right here because they got to stay in this unredeemed world. They got to live in this. And he says, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me. Protect them by your name that you have given me. In other words, Jesus is saying our names are the same. And the reason our names are the same is because we're of the same character. Usually you're named after your character. And Jesus is saying, my character and my father's character are the same. Even though we're too different, our characters are the same. So that may so that they may be as be one as we are one. Uh, the, que- the question you have to ask right there is, how did Jesus keep the disciple in the Father's name? How did, he, how did Jesus keep the disciples in the Father's name? It's because Jesus taught them about the Father. That's all he did. <laughs> he didn't give them three points in an illustration. He didn't give them a to-do list of uh, Christianese. Get up early in the morning, have your prayer time, your devotional time, spend time in the Word. He didn't do any of that. He didn't give them responsibility or duties as a Christian. He didn't give them the law. The law was already there and they were doing it, but Jesus didn't even give them that. All Jesus did was he taught them about the Father. He took 12 guys, hang out with me, I'm going to teach you about my dad. And literally, if you ever catch me doing anything other than that, call me out on it. The only thing I want to do is teach you about God the Father. I don't want to shoot on you. I want to cause you to do things that you can't do. But I do want to tell you about your father, your heavenly father. If you know, if they know the father's name, if you know the father's name, you begin to take on the father's character. And when I say you know his name, it's not just knowing God, but knowing about God, knowing who God is, knowing him intimately knowing that eternal life, just knowing him, you really begin to take on his character. And you, and guess what? If you take on his character, I don't have to worry about your behavior. I don't have to... It, it, literally, if you get to know the Father, you begin to act like the Father, and then everything is good. Is that my job? Absolutely not. I'm going to tell you about the Father... The Father is going to reveal things to you. The Father is going to speak to you. The Father is going to, it's all going to be about the Father, and he's the one that's going to be glorified. And I don't have to worry about what you are doing. That whole 
so that they may be one as we are one. We've always tried to be unified for the sake of unity. (laughs) You know, that'll kill a church. Trying to be unified. Quit, Quit trying to be unified. For the sake of unity. Just get to know the Father. And if you get to know the Father, and you get to know the Father, 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 and you get to know the Father, we're all on the same page. And we're unified. It's that simple. Jesus is saying, know my name. Know my Father's name. Have an intimate relationship. He's he's, He's literally praying, Father, do this for them. He knows it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen because the Spirit's coming. He's sending the Spirit. It's like, I, I, Friday night, I was greatly encouraged. We were over at the Ward's house, and we had this little camp reunion party, and it was kind of an impulsive thing. But uh, the camp director, Dale Stewart, drove eight hours from Wisconsin to come hang out with our people for three hours and then got in his car and drove back. I'm like, why in the world would you do that? He said, because your group is different than any other group. I can see unity in your group. I can see the Lord working in your group. And I just wanted to be here. And that was a huge encouragement to me. Verse 12, he says, While I was with them, still talking about the disciples, I was protecting them by your name. In other words, I'm teaching them about you, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. They're sitting, Jesus is sitting there praying this prayer in front of the disciples, and he's like, not one of them was lost except for that one, the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas. And all of a sudden, the disciples go, he knew. He, he already knew that that was going to happen. He knew in advance that Judas was going to betray him. I mean, He literally called it back in John 13. Verse 13, it says, Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Jesus taught them these things that they couldn't understand. He literally saying these things, and I realize there's some of you in this room today that are not understanding what I'm saying. But he knew that one day they would absolutely understand what he has already said. That someday, and you know what that someday is, that's Acts chapter 2. The Spirit's going to come along, take up residence inside of them, and cause it to be revealed to them, and they're going to understand it. The light's going to come on. This, as a teacher, this gives me a lot of hope. You realize that, right? I been in here for 10 plus years at Pinheads 
teaching the same message over and over and over again. And occasionally you see the lights come on. And it's pretty exciting. And I've literally had people sitting here for years and all of a sudden, oh wow, that makes sense. It wasn't me that did it. All I'm doing is teaching. It's the Father that does it. He reveals it. It's verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you, you will not respond as the world responds. <laughs> you, you, you've got to hear this. If he takes your old heart out, the heart that your sinful heart that you're born with and puts a new heart in you, makes you a new creation, you are not going to respond as the world responds. You will not set people aside. In fact, it will turn your stomach when people get set aside. You will be considered weird. <laughs> you Christians, you will be considered a harborer of sinners. Got that label already. You will be considered a sloppy thinker. You will be considered a teacher or a follower of a twisted gospel. Think about that. <laughs> you get labeled a teacher of a twisted gospel. Well, who's teaching the good news? Right? Who's teaching the good news that Jesus set us free? You, you will be set apart. You will be looked at different. It says in verse 15, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. At, you have to understand that prayer right there. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus knows that they're all going to die as martyrs. Everybody but John, all of his disciples, died as martyrs. Crucified, stoned, everything else for the sake of Jesus. He knows that they're going to suffer. He knows that you sitting in this room right here are going to suffer. But when he says protect them from the evil one, he's literally saying let them stay focused on what is true. Let them not be deceived. Let them not stray away. Let them stay on this path that we have focused on. He knows they're going to suffer. He knows you're going to suffer. He's praying that you're protected right here in your head from the evil one. And then it says in verse 16, they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. He's separated from the world. He's separated from the world. In other words, set apart. You know what set apart, another word for set apart is? Holy. Sanctified. And then he says it right there. This is the big verse. I close on this. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I'll come back here next Sunday and I will break this down for you. Because this can be confusing. 
sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. I pause on that word sanctify because as I've gone through the scripture, I've seen where it says I'm sanctified and I'm being sanctified. That sounds like a contradiction. But really, sanctification and the word sanctify, there's three different terminologies there in the scripture. There's one, and I'll break this down in scripture next week, I promise. There's one where we are sanctified as our soul and spirit. That's past tense. He's already done that. He did that on the cross. Nothing that you can do to set your soul, your spirit, who you are. This is who you are. You realize that's who you are, your soul and your spirit, because that's eternal. That lasts forever. There's nothing more that you can do to set yourself apart, make yourself more holy than you are right now. He says, but yet we're still being sanctified. Well, what part of me is being sanctified? It's my behavior. It's the things that I do as I get to know the name of God, the name of Jesus, and I get to know him intimately, and I take on his character. It begins to change the things that I do. It begins to sanctify my behavior. My behavior is still being, hang out with me for a little bit. You'll see my behavior is still trying to be sanctified, and it will be until the day that I die. And then that's the third one. The day that I die, it is my behavior is perfectly sanctified. But until then, my whole deal is to know God, know Jesus, know the Spirit. If I know them, I begin to take on their character, and it begins to change and impact what I do greatly. It begins to, it begins to set my behavior apart from the world. It begins to make my behavior holy. And guess what? I don't have a book that tells me how to do that. I have a spirit that teaches me about the Father and the character of my God who loves me and gave his son for me and forgave me. And it allows me to see the world, allows me to see people differently. Sanctification. Lord, I pray that as we uh, go this week, that we can walk in our sanctification, that we can walk in who we are, our soul and our spirit, that you have set us apart, that you have made us holy, and that you would begin to unpack and reveal these things to us, that you would do that. I trust you with your word, wherever it lands today, on whoever's heart, whoever's head, I I pray for the conversations that are going to happen this week, the thought process, just living it out, that you would do that. I trust you with my friends, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.